Well, when Kevin said he'd be away this weekend and asked me to speak, I thought I'd go back through some of the themes of things that I've talked about here before, see what might be relevant. And I thought, well, considering all the new visitors and families that have joined us the past uh, year or so, uh, this topic of Christian hospitality might be a, a good thing for us to review. Uh, just for historical perspective, I went back in my computer, actually goes back that far. Uh, the last time I spoke on hospitality, Kevin wasn't preaching in Kentucky. He was visiting missionaries that we support in Tanzania that, that Sunday. And uh, interesting, on the list of items for prayer that Sunday in 2008, in June, we were giving thanks for the birth of Gilead Jarreau. So uh, I know there's at least one person here who hasn't heard this, and that's Gilead. <laughs> <clears throat> So what do you think of when you think of the concept of hospitality? Well, the Oxford Dictionary, I guess one of the places we go, defines hospitality as simply the friendly reception and treatment of guests or strangers. Today we have a whole sector of our economy that's called the hospitality industry. It includes things like hotels and Airbnbs, catering, travel and entertainment, some of you here work in this industry. <clears throat> but as Christians, what do we think of as hospitality in our own personal uh, lives? We may tend to think of hospitality as something that only certain people do, or people who have the nicer homes, or are good at entertaining. Or perhaps we think of hospitality as a good thing, but not particularly crucial as part of our lives. Well, the reality is that scripture indicates that practicing hospitality is, is not optional. It's a command for all of us in scripture. All believers are expected to practice hospitality, and it's a means that the Lord uses to grow us individually and sanctify us as well as uh, grow the body of Christ. Dr. George Ross professor at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary in a blog post entitled Hospitality in the New Testament says this, Hospitality had a central role in the early church as believers forged a new identity in a hostile culture. As Christians shared meals and resources and as they opened their lives and homes to strangers, they formed communities that transcended and changed conventional understandings of households and expressed new understandings of social relations and political identities. The outside world noticed and wondered about this odd assortment of people who claimed to be and acted as if they were family. So let's go to scripture. What can we learn from scripture about hospitality? Well, the, a couple of key words... <clears throat> Hospitality or hospitable, they're only used five times in the New Testament, but their use is fairly significant. We'll look at those, but also some other passages that uh, refer to hospitality, but the word isn't used directly. Dr. Ross says that the Greek word oikos translates to home or house or household is used much more often. It's used 180 times in the New Testament. But many times it is tied to church hospitality. 
The Greek noun for hospitality literally means love of strangers, philoxenia, love strangers. It's not surprising then that at least three of the five areas where this word is used, it's mentioned in the specific context of love. The Bible shows us two basic categories for Christian hospitality, and I'm going to look at each of these and then make some applications to us today at Bible Chapel. And this is in your notes. The first major category involves showing Christian hospitality towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Showing Christian hospitality towards brothers and sisters in Christ. Scripture has at least two specific subsets of these believers who are called to serve, we are called to serve. Uh, The first one we'll look at is those in our local body of believers. But first a question, what, what makes Christian hospitality distinct? So you can think about most of us have been to, at some point, invited to someone's home for a meal or celebration perhaps related to work or extended family or other social gatherings. There are typically very nice gatherings with plenty of food and conversation, but perhaps there wasn't anything distinctly Christian about those events. There was no fellowship like there is among believers, no intent on the part of the host, perhaps, to serve in the name of Christ. Uh, But this is what makes it distinct distinctly Christian. So Christian hospitality has always been based on the unique bond of love between and among brothers and sisters who have been saved by the gracious work of our Lord Jesus Christ. All Christian hospitality among believers is rooted in brotherly love. Alexander Strzok in his booklet entitled The, The Hospitality Commands says this, Christianity's teaching on love is unparalleled in the history of religion. One of the key factors that helps explain the rapid expansion of early Christianity is the love displayed among the first Christians. This love did not go unnoticed at the time. The third century African writer and apologist Tertullian tells us that the pagans of his day had to acknowledge the extraordinary love of the Christians. The pagans were forced to say, see how they love one another and how ready they are to die for each other. The New Testament is full of encouragement and exhortations for believers to love one another, and the calls to hospitality normally occur in that context. In these two passages, notice the close connection between love and hospitality. 1 Peter 4, which Brian read for us, a couple of verses I'll repeat. Verse eight, verses 8 through 10, And above all, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, as each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And then in Hebrews 13, verses 1 and 2, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by doing so, some have unwittingly entertained angels. The phrase, do not forget to entertain strangers, is literally, be not forgetful of hospitality. So our hospitality toward one another here at Bible Chapel is based in love. In addition to being rooted in brotherly love, hospitality 
in the New Testament is focused on deepening relationships among believers. God desires for us to develop intimacy with him through meditation on his word and prayer, but we can only develop intimacy with him vertically to the degree we are developing intimacy with those in his family, the church. Christian hospitality is an excellent way to do this. When Paul wrote his letter to the church at Rome in chapter 12, he gave 13 rapid-fire commands in five short verses, and these are familiar, but listen as I read. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. John Piper comments about this phrase, given to hospitality. He says, literally it says, pursue hospitality. And the verb implies continuous action. So the command in Romans twelve thirteen is that hospitality is not just a once a year thing at Thanksgiving or Christmas, but a constant attitude and practice. Our homes and apartments should stand constantly ready for strategic hospitality, a readiness to welcome people who don't ordinarily live there. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another, for all people, just as we also do for you. And then John makes this connection between our love for the brethren and our love for God very clear in 1 John 3. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, Alexander Strzok says, Hospitality fleshes out love in a uniquely personal and sacrificial way. Through the ministry of hospitality, we share our most prized possessions. We share our family, home, finances, food, privacy, and time. Indeed, we share our very lives. So hospitality is always costly. Unless we open the doors of our homes to one another, the reality of the local church as a close-knit family of loving brothers and sisters is only a theory. Strzok goes on to tell of a couple who found that they had a hard time feeling like they belonged in their congregation. Instead of leaving the church, they decided to invite every person in the church to their home for dinner during the next year. And by the end of the year, they knew everyone in the church and had made a number of close friendships. So our hospitality toward one another is based on love and is focused on deepening our relationships with one another. The final point here is that God's work places a special emphasis on shepherds when it comes to hospitality. In two separate lists of qualifications for elders in the church, we find hospitality mentioned as a requirement. 
The first is in 1 Timothy 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, and so forth. Then in Titus chapter 1, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, and self-controlled. A couple of thoughts about these passages. First, the two lists of qualifications are for men who lead in the church. Obviously, our wives are to play an important and helpful role in hospitality, but it's clear here that Men are to take the lead both in our homes and in the church in practicing hospitality. Second, while all believers are expected to practice hospitality, it seems significant that it's spelled out specifically in both of these lists of elder qualifications. <clears throat> Piper says, John Piper says about this, elders should have well-worn houses with people coming and going. Ours is worn, but I don't know about the coming and going. That's where I'm convicted and know that we need to do a better job. Martin Luther and his wife Katie were apparently legendary for opening their home and for liberal hospitality. Luther saw hospitality as a great forum for teaching God's truth and discipling believers. So the first group of believers that we're called to serve with hospitality are those here in our local body at Bible Chapel. The second group of folks we are to serve with hospitality are those members of the body of Christ from other parts of the world whom we have the providential opportunity to serve. They are missionaries, they're teachers, they're other believers who the Lord brings into our midst for a brief time. One example of this from scripture is in the account in 2 Kings of the Shunammite woman and her generous hospitality to Elisha Listen as I read a couple of verses from 2 Kings chapter 4. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shuman, Shunem, sorry, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, <clears throat> he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed there for him and a table and a chair and a lampstand so that it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Sounds to me like the basic formula for today's hotel rooms. You got a bed, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. No coffee, but she probably provided that too, it sounds like. Notice the verb used here, though. She persuaded him to eat some food. Later, she expanded her hospitality by creating a room in her house and making a comfortable place for him to stop and stay on his travels. As a result of her kindness and warm hospitality, this woman and her husband received the unexpected blessing of a son. There are several notable examples in the New Testament of this kind of hospitality shown toward traveling preachers, including Simon the Tanner in Joppa, who hosted the Apostle Peter, 
Philemon in verse 22 of that book, Gaius of Corinth in Romans 16, and another Gaius in 3 John, uh, 3 John 5 through 8. But the other person I'd like to look at briefly is Lydia. If you'll turn with me uh, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In this chapter, Luke, the author, gives a first-hand account of two separate occasions where this woman, Lydia, a new convert, showed hospitality to him and Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. Acts 16, I'll start at verse 11. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out to the city of out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Notice in verse 12 that Paul and his friends were staying in that city for some days. They already had lodging elsewhere. They had a place to stay. But in verse 15, immediately after Lydia's conversion and baptism, what did she do? She invited them to come and stay at her house. So any of you who maybe own a small business or know somebody who does, know that your days are quite full keeping your business afloat. I assume Lydia, who ran her own business, was a very busy lady, yet notice how she responded in spite of her full life. She was willing to set all that aside and become a hostess for these men. And look at the verbs Luke uses to describe her request. She didn't just make an offer or a suggestion and then drop the topic. Luke, who was there in person, says in verse 15, she begged us, and then she persuaded us, which is the same word used to describe what the Shunammite woman did with Elijah. So maybe, have you ever invited folks over, and I don't think anybody here would have done this, but over for a meal or to visit, but you're secretly hoping maybe they would say no. Maybe they have something else to do. At least you could feel good about making the attempt This is not the case for Lydia. No, she's intent on having Paul and his companions come to her house to stay. uh, And she was direct and she was persistent. Uh, I'm from West Virginia originally, as are both my parents and their families. And there's a pattern that you may know about in Appalachian culture, which I've learned is true in China, maybe some other places, where Paul, in Paul's situation, He might typically decline this offer of lodging out of courtesy or humility or pride. Uh, The pattern is, you know, say no, thank you at least two or three times before accepting an invitation. Uh, I can imagine Paul saying 
initially declining her invitation, saying they already have a place to stay, they didn't want to impose, but she persisted and they took her up on the offer. And then we don't know how much time passed between these verses and the rest of the chapter, but you see the next part of the chapter is Paul and Silas uh, ending up in jail in Philippi. And then if we jump down to verse 40, when they get out of jail miraculously, where do they go? Verse 40 says, so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. So we can probably infer from this verse that Paul and Silas felt very comfortable going to Lydia's house after getting out of jail, that they had an open invitation to return, even though they were, uh, had been arrested. Also, in whatever time has passed from the day of Lydia's conversion to their release, Lydia must have be, Lydia's home must have become already a place where other brethren gathered. This woman hadn't just wanted Paul and his companions to come and stay with her in her household. She also apparently had welcomed other believers to come and gather at her home. This was perhaps the beginning of the church in Philippi, the same church that Paul wrote his letter to about 10 years later while he was in prison in Rome. It could have started right there in Lydia's kitchen over food and drink with Lydia's obedience to be as hospitable as she could. So then when Paul wrote his exhortation in Romans 12 that we read earlier to pursue hospitality, possibly he had the godly example of women uh, like Lydia and others who uh, showed hospitality to him. So when we host teachers and other believers from around the world in our homes, we tend to, to gain as well. It's a blessing to us Strzok says, extending hospitality to the Lord's servants is one of the most rewarding experiences of the Christian life. Missionaries who have stayed in our home, for example, have been a special blessing to our family. We have learned volumes about the Lord's work around the world as we have listened to God's servants tell of what he is doing through them. Then he goes on to say, children will especially profit when you invite God's servants into your home. Having godly men and women stay in your home will be a unique educational experience for your children. They will log precious, indelible memories that will stay with them for a lifetime. So as we've been studying in our monthly home groups, which happen again this Wednesday, and I encourage everybody to find one of those groups to attend uh, they're a wonderful opportunity, again, to be in a home and to hear and talk about God's word. Jesus Christ loves his church, and those who know him will love his church as well. And hospitality can be one of the primary ways to show our love for one another in the body of Christ. So in summary, in this first category of hospitality, because of God's deep love for us and the riches of his grace toward us, We are called to pursue hospitality toward brothers and sisters in Christ, both those here in our body and those around the world, as we have opportunity. The second major category of Christian hospitality is that directed toward those outside the faith, toward unbelievers, as a means of evangelism. For this category, we can start with Jesus' own example 
throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus reaching out to unbelievers and outcasts in his day by dining with them. While Jesus apparently enjoyed being in the home of his dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he had deeply intimate fellowship with his disciples, we also see Jesus often eating and socializing with undesirable and pagan people. There are dozens of examples, but I'll highlight here just a couple. There's several scriptures, references there in your outline. One example at the beginning of his ministry is in Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was calling his disciples, says Mark 2, 15 through 17. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house, that's Matthew, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then later in his ministry in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Then finally, there's a story of Zacchaeus that's very familiar. Another tax collector, but it says he's actually a chief tax collector. In Luke 19, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, the Pharisees, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. There are many other examples of Jesus sharing a meal with unbelievers and using that opportunity to engage people in spiritual discussions. You can think of many, I'm sure. He, one, he was eating at Simon the Pharisee's house when the woman came and washed his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair and anointed them with expensive oil in Luke 7. Then in Luke 11, he's eating with Pharisees and lawyers and blasting them for their hypocrisy. Again, in Luke 14, eating in the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees on the Sabbath. In that passage, Jesus cautions us against only inviting our friends, brothers, and relatives. Instead saying we should invite those who are unable to repay us. Luke 14, 12 through 14 says, Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maim, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I haven't thought about this a whole lot, but do we really think about inviting into our homes those who could not repay? One more New Testament example of someone who invited believers into his home is Simon the Tanner that I mentioned from Joppa. 
Remember the story in Acts chapter 10. There was a Roman centurion named Cornelius, a God-fearing man who had a vision. An angel of the Lord told him, beginning in verse 5 of chapter 10 of Acts, Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among them who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Well, then if we skip down in the passage, the men get to Joppa and they and Peter greets them. He also had a vision. He comes downstairs from the roof and greets them at the door. They tell Peter who sent them and why. And then verse 23 says, Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So Simon the tanner, I guess Peter's the one that invited them in, but Simon, the owner of the house, hosted not only Peter for many days, it says, but he hosted also these three Gentiles overnight in his home, two of Cornelius' household servants and then a soldier. These, were the messen- these messengers were sent by the first Gentile convert, the Roman centurion Cornelius. One final quote from Dr. George Ross on the role of hospitality in evangelism. <clears throat> he says that hospitality is a catalyst for the advancement of the gospel. The early church exploded through the practice of hospitality. He says, the connection between hospitality and the advance of the early church is unmistakable. Historically, the gospel message proliferated from Jerusalem, through the region, and ultimately to the corners of the known world. Hospitality enabled early Christians, like others in the ancient world, to travel when commercial options were limited and unsafe. For Christians, this was especially important for propagating the Christian message and weaving a network of relationships among local church bodies. The early church, he says, did not function in mega buildings and structures. The primary locations for worship, study, and fellowship involved opening their homes and practicing hospitality. Christian hospitality became a unique identification for the early church. So in summary, we are to show Christian hospitality to believers at Bible Chapel, to believers beyond our walls, and to those who need to hear about their need for a Savior and the good news of the gospel. Well, does that leave anyone out? Yes. The Bible says there are two very specific situations where we are told not to extend hospitality. And these, these are exceptions to Christian hospitality. For the first of these exceptions, John warns us in his second epistle not to allow false teachers into your home. John, 2 John 10 and 11 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. The second exception that we find is for unrepentant professing believers. Unrepentant professing believers. 
These are individuals who have maybe been part of the body, the visible body, professing faith, but have resisted instruction of the church and have refused to repent. These two, at least for a season, are not to be shown Christian hospitality in hopes that they will come to repentance and be restored to the body of Christ. So in closing, let's think about some common ways that we already display hospitality and how we can continue to grow in this area. As we look at some of our strengths at Bible Chapel, we can affirm that there are many ways that we already show hospitality to one another and to others outside of our body. Fairly regularly, we've heard Pastor Kevin share with us about somebody outside the body who is telling him about what they've observed and appreciated about our being welcoming, about our kind words, thoughtful actions, and support of one another. Um, and here, here's a few examples that you know I could think of. Some of you have invited college students or new families or other Bible chapel visitors to your homes for fellowship and a meal. Some have provided lodging for guest speakers and missionaries who come and others providing them meals while they're here. Many of you have participated in hosting one or more of the international students or professors that have come in the past from Purdue University. And then many families have gladly offered to host our uh, home groups like will be happening this week. I would suggest also that there's a sense of of an extension to Christian hospitality, not a replacement, but when our church body practices hospitality as a whole couple of of ways I thought about that. One is when we host the joint services and welcome our sister churches here. It's not in our homes, but it's our Bible chapel home. And and again, the the students coming from Purdue, that's, that's not only an individual hospitality picture to me, but it's also our church being hospitable. So as we close, I'm asking us to think about something more that we can commit to do in this area of hospitality, in order to deepen our love for one another and reach out to the lost. You've got a handout there in, the, in your bulletin entitled 10 Hints for Pursuing Christian Hospitality. Those give you some ideas to consider. Um, you might pick one or pick two of those to talking to your household, your spouse, and your family. How can we be more hospitable? Um, And I do have one additional specific area related to evangelism that you might be interested in pursuing. This would take maybe stepping out of our comfort zone to show love through hospitality. Uh, but, But you could consider offering an evangelistic Bible study in your home, inviting your neighbors, friends, colleagues from work to your home for a specific purpose of reading and studying God's word. Uh, Alexander Strzok says evangelistic home Bible studies are a very non-threatening way to attract friends and neighbors who would not come to church but who may be willing to come into your home, a more informal and relaxed setting. There is also more time for discussion and interaction than on Sunday mornings after church. So along these lines, we have an excellent resource right here that some of you might want to take advantage of. Several years ago, Christopher Giroux developed an evangelistic Bible study on the book of Mark. 
He created outlines and guiding questions for leading the study, so it's very easy. He says he can make those materials available for anyone who would like to join, uh, like to hold a Bible study in your home and invite neighbors and friends to join. Uh, Rhonda and I were able to do that a few couple of years ago. Not very many of our neighbors responded, but we were, went out door to door and handed out a little slip of paper and said, you know, we're going to do this. If you'd like to join us, we, you would be welcome. And, and we did have um, one family in particular that came regularly, and it was, it was great to meet with them and go through the book of Mark together. At its core, hospitality involves providing food, drink, conversation, and sometimes lodging. Christian hospitality does this with the express purpose of growing in our love for one another or in reaching the lost. So considering the examples of those we've seen today in scripture, are we going out of our way? Are we pursuing these opportunities, stepping out of our comfort zone to be hospitable? John MacArthur says we should look upon our hospitality as a happy privilege, not a drudging duty. We aren't just to meet the needs of those who come across our paths, but are to look for opportunities to help. So let's not be satisfied with just greeting visitors here at the church. Let's be prepared to invite them to our homes for lunch or to get acquainted, to encourage and be encouraged. Um, And don't think your meal or your house has to look like something out of Better Homes and Gardens or Martha Stewart Living. Whatever effort you make will be appreciated. A few questions to think about. Have we given any thought to preparing our heart and our home to make it possible to seize these opportunities? Have you ever invited another family from church over for a meal or dessert? Have you ever invited a church visitor to join for a meal? Do you take advantage of the opportunities that we have to host guest speakers or missionaries, to break bread with them and learn from them while also blessing them? Have we ever offered lodging to believers we know who are passing through our area? John Piper talks about something he calls strategic hospitality. He says what he means by strategic hospitality is that it's a hospitality that thinks strategically and asks these kinds of questions. How can I draw the most people into a deep experience of God's hospitality by the use of my home or my church home? Who might need reinforcements just now in the battle against loneliness? Who are the people who could be brought together in my home most strategically for the sake of the kingdom? What two or three people's complementary abilities might explode in a new ministry if they had two hours to brainstorm over dinner in my house. He says strategic hospitality is not content to just have the old plan over for dinner again and again. It strategizes how to make the hospitality of God known and felt all over the world. From the lonely church member right here to the Gola farmers in Tan, Liberia. Don't over... Don't ever underestimate the power of your living room as a launching pad for new life and hope and ministry and mission. In closing, he says this. This this is some practical words of admonition that Piper gave to his own congregation on this topic. He said, 
Invite each other home. We finish our evening service between 7.15 and 7.30. If you want to be in bed by 10 p.m. and it takes you half an hour to get your pajamas on, then you have two strategic hours to be with each other in your homes. What a great time to bring visitors into your home. Just kick the toys into a corner as you walk out the door on the way to church and make sure you have popcorn, cooking oil, and water. I guess this was before microwaves. We are talking about wartime hospitality, you know. Nothing fancy. Forget trying to impress anybody. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I'm thankful that we can uh, explore your word and learn from uh, the example of our Lord Jesus.